Good. Okay, well, I'm just going to go ahead and get right into it. And I want to welcome everyone that is um, on right now to the fifth episode of the Flexible Packaging Roundtable. And if anyone is new here, um, this is a series um, that we have been providing um, to give people some insight on the flexible packaging industry. And today we will be speaking with Matt Reynolds, um, editor at Packaging World um, for PMMI Media Group um, about flexible packaging and the trends that he is seeing from an editorial perspective. And I am your host, Sarah Janiszewski. And if at any time uh, anyone has any questions, you know, feel free to leave those down below um, and we'll do our best to get to them. So um, to get things started here, Matt, um, can you just tell us more about yourself and the work that you do for Packaging World? Well, sure. Yeah. But before I do, I would be remiss not to mention, I know there's probably a few Wisconsinites watching right now. Oh, yeah. uh, congratulations on the Bucks win last night. Uh, it was yes. exciting to watch. I'm sure everybody's excited in the Milwaukee area. Um, it's good. So, yeah, I'm from uh, Kenosha originally, so not too far away from uh, where you guys are. So definitely following the Bucks. But uh, since uh, leaving Kenosha, I've been in the trade press for uh, my entire career. I started with uh, baking magazines, uh, like industrial baking, volume baking, uh, baking management and so on. Um, from there, I had a little bit of a segue over into uh, machine tools. So uh, CNC lathes, these type of high, uh, you know, production, uh, 2D, 3D uh, manufacturing. And then ever since about 2014 or so, I've been here in the packaging space, which kind of com combines both of those pretty nicely. Mm -hmm. um, so here at Packaging World, uh, obviously we're a traditional print magazine, um, which we still have going strong. Um, people say print is dead. I say, show me the body. Uh, <laughs> but, uh, but we also have a pretty, uh, you know, we're, we're trying formats like this one and, uh, you know, audio visual type of formats to really try and provide our content and our, you know, fact finding and reporting in any format that people want to consume it. So that could be here on Instagram live. That could be mm -hmm. video audio. It's sort of like a read, watch, listen model. And we try and be there for whatever, um, you know, format is suitable for our, our readers. Awesome. Uh, building off that with all the work you've done in, in the magazine space. And um, can you talk to us about some of the trends that you have seen um, specifically over the past year, like with COVID and everything that's been going on? Yeah. So if we talk about trends, we talk about kind of straight lines over 10 or 15 years for the most part, kind of in one direction or another. But 2020, as we all know, kind of uh, all bets were off, I guess. Um, so a lot of trends that had been, you know, going steadily were thrown off or, you know, increased exponentially or stopped completely. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, and it's all part of the, you know, through the lens of the pandemic. So you, you mentioned uh, last year, I would say about 18 months or so is when we really started seeing things uh, go awry and amiss. And I guess what we phrase or what we call that is sort of a recalibration of the omnichannel. And by omnichannel, I mean, how are your packaged products, your consumer products getting out to consumers? Um, traditionally, we have kind of like the three legs of the stool. We think of that as, you know, retail, food service. And within food service, there's sort of the hospitality or um, even institutional like college dorm cafeterias, that sort of thing. Okay. Uh, food service uh, and, and hospitality is one. And then obviously retail, which is another uh, major, you know, we all saw the shocks in the system early on February, March, 
that retail endured. And then e-com. E-com uh, is one that has long been growing, again, kind of at a straight line growth curve, but maybe the last 18 months have, uh, have created sort of an acceleration in growth that we didn't initially expect. You know, where we expected to be in 2030 with adoption of e-com, maybe we're going to be in 2025 because some folks that never would have, you know, ordered from uh, whatever it is, a HelloFresh or, or Blue Apron or, or mm -hmm. even Amazon previously, uh, suddenly see it as a viable option. And a certain percentage of those are going to remain e-com customers. Now, not all of that's going to be, um, you know, it's not permanent necessarily, but it's not going back to where it was before. So whether you talk to Mintel or um, McKinsey, some of these uh, these consumer brands, consumer trends uh, uh, companies that are always following and listening ear to the ground on exactly what's going on. They always talk about a next normal or a new normal or something like that. And that's sure. going to be the case. Whatever it was in, in December um, 2019, you know, whatever that mix between food service, retail, and e-com, whatever that was, is not going to be the same going forward. I don't think the dust has settled yet. It's starting to, knock on wood, uh, you know, and hopefully uh, no wrenches thrown in there by the Delta variant or anything like that. So there's, yes. there's a lot still unknown. But what I mean to say is, you know, this recalibration of the omnichannel is affecting packaging profoundly. So that's one of the big things, one of the big themes we've seen in the last uh, 18 months or so. Another one is kind of harder to quantify. It's all hard to quantify, but this is much more difficult. And that's sort of like a more of a societal upheaval and societal change that occurred sort of at the other side of the, all the change with the lockdowns and, and, and so on. Um, we're, we're, there was a lot of protests going on. There's a lot of uh, societal uh, awareness that you know, maybe have been, has existed under the surface, but bubbled up to the surface now. And, sure. and brand, brands are being asked to, you know, address this. They're not, they're, they're no longer can they stand on the sidelines and sell to this group and sell to this group equally. People are increasingly asking brands to have a stance, have, have something to say. And some of that is, uh, you know, is, is probably lip service and there's no getting around it. But, but honestly, there's, they're, they're making a calculation and, and, and it's not all out of, you know, pure, uh, you know, goodwill that these things are happening they're making a calculation that this is what people want this is where people are and these brands have to reflect that how do they reflect that well one of the main ways is in the packaging itself so packaging is um, sort of the one downstream uh, method for for uh, branding and, and and announcing a brand message and giving a brand stance which is incre becoming increasingly important um, so I think one of the, the really cool, um, you know, however you spin it, it could be upsides and downsides, but one of the really cool ways to look at it is through the lens of inclusive packaging. And when I say inclusive packaging, that could be smart packaging or it could be etching on existing, you know, let's say rigid bottles have new etchings on them so that the visually impaired can, can feel them in like, say, a shower setting. Unilever came out with a really interesting one that's called Degree Inclusive. It's a, it's a deodorant that uh, has a, basically has an intrinsic hook on it that will be able to hang again in the shower setting. And instead of having, okay. unscrew, instead of having to unscrew that, you know, th there's magnets involved. Well, magnets are a really expensive thing to add to a package, but they're going down the reusable packaging space and it becomes more of like a reusability kind of thing where they'll get like refill units to refill that, refill that durable pack. So that kind of durable packaging is another uh, way to look at it. Uh, um, you know, the inclusive packaging. And that's a segue to the third big trend that we've seen over the last, you know, 18 months. And that's sustainability, uh, you know, is, is the word in packaging, um, in a sense. And we saw, I'd say early on in the outset of the, the pandemic, we saw maybe um, uh, 
not so fast single use plastics really seemed like a smart hygienic way to go, uh, you know, compared to something that would be durable that you'd have to watch because hygiene was top of everybody's minds. And that existed for a while. But I think, again, asking those same consumer brands companies, whether it's Mintel or McKinsey or anybody, that the the new normal, the new consumer emerging at the far end of the pandemic, hopefully we're there or near it, um, is going to be even more in tune with, uh, with, with good of the planet, good of humanity, and all of that is kind of of a piece with sustainability. So those are three, I know that's a wordy way to get it, but three big trends that we saw come out of the last, I would say, 18 months or so. Great. And building off of that, you know, the, the sustainability that you were just talking about, the e-commerce, the inclusive packaging, how have all of those trends impacted um, flexible packaging, um, the flexible packaging industry specifically? Yeah, well, flexible packaging has, you know, a, a big part to play in each and every one of those, uh, those segments. Um, I, I mentioned uh, having a stance or being able to say something, and I might be jumping around a little bit, but ha- brands mm-hmm. that need to, to be able to say something, they need to be able to pivot. They need, need to be able to immediately address something, let's say, a Black History Month or a women's um, you know, uh, International Women's Day is one where they have to develop or they don't have to, but they're choosing to because they're making a, a, very, a calculation that this is behooves them to do so to address yeah. to address these folks um, in, you know, whether it's a, a short campaign. We saw one from Hershey. Uh, I say Hershey because it's the, the brand Hershey, like the chocolate, but, you know, baked right into the name there is Hershey. So they had this Hershey Brazil had a really interesting campaign using digital printing on uh, flexible packaging. Uh, to be able to show, you know, art, music, science, ways women have impacted, uh, you know, culture in general over the years. And they're able to devote an entire month's worth of packaging to this. And due to flexible packaging and the ability to print, digitally print on flexible packaging yep. in, a w- in a way that they can send roll stock, not sending completed rigid packages that, you know, then have, um, you know, you're shipping air at that point, which works against the whole sustainability theme. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you're, you're shipping roll stock or say, you know, you're, you're a converter you're 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 printing it you're you're die cutting it and you're sending you know finished pouches whatever the case may be you're not shipping air Uh, but you're able to turn on a dime uh, address things quickly uh, have a stance have an you know have have brief campaigns um, and you don't have to make a million you you know your minimum order quantity as a brand can be much smaller when you're you know running uh, you know campaign via digital printing so that's one way i mean there's probably a million more you know better than i do um, that you know uh, digital printing or, or Flexibles in general are going to kind of be hand in hand with this kind of social or inclusive packaging theme. Um, also, uh, when it comes to the recalibration of uh, the omnichannel, what I call the, you know, kind of this tectonic movement of, you know, food service, retail, hospitality and e-commerce. Um, I, I think early on in the pandemic, you had uh, the shift from, let's say, a, a restaurant that was regularly accepting, you know, 50 or 100 pound uh, you know, flexible bags of frozen chicken thighs. And that suddenly dries up because food service is, is shuttered for, you know, some time or at least extremely curtailed. Um, and instead, the, you know, that those chicken, people eat the same amount. They, people, I, for me, I ate more during the, during the pandemic. Um, me too. It's a, matter, it's a matter of how you get it. And, and, you know, from the retail side of things, is, you know, will that flexible packaging, will it require, say, nutrition facts? Is that a labeling thing or is that something that's printed on from the converter's point of view? I don't know. I know the FDA gave, gave uh, converters a little bit of leeway and gave brands a little bit of leeway for some time 
there, but, uh, but it's a very different pack. The one that's going to the restaurant or the one that's going to the hotel, 50 pounds of Tyson chicken, sorry to use a brand name, but just popped to mind versus, yep. you know, those two chicken thighs that my wife and I are going to, you know, pick off a retail shelf that have the nutrition facts on there. Well, I mean that, that being able to be, um, flexible and agile, flexible packaging needs to be flexible in the sense that it needs to be able to do a lot of things at once, wear a lot of hats. And I think it came through admirably in the, you know, in the entire uh, pandemic, especially early on, you know, once those big shocks kind of started to recalibrate, we're, we're kind of seeing easing off. But, but that's, uh, that's one spot, again, you'll know better than I do, but that's one spot where, you know, where the, the recalibration of Omnichannel is addressed or, or seen in, in, in flexible packaging. And finally, is, and it's, the, it's the big one, is sustainability. And, you know, flexible packaging is by and large plastic. And uh, for better or for worse, uh, it's received a bit of a black eye. Um, you know, people have, have this uh, image of uh, albatross with the, you know, the six-pack rings around its neck or the sea turtle, and that's indelible. I mean, people are aware of that now. So there's, uh, so, so it's a matter of uh, controlling the message there, controlling the narrative. It's more lightweight. You're not shipping air. There's all sorts of positives to it. Nobody that I know of has come up with the right formula that, you know, you know what is the perfect package for any given uh, you know, product, but, uh, you know, until, until we have that formula, it's a matter of, you know, controlling the narrative from the flexible st standpoint to say, Hey, we're here too. And we get your product there safely, effectively, uh, with very little greenhouse emissions. And, uh, and we make sure that that stuff is shelf stable. It's not going to, you know, it's not going to go, go bad on your shelf or in your fridge, yep. even worse. So, uh, again, those three big trends, flexible packaging has a key role to play in all of them. I'm sure a million more ways than what I just explained, too. <laughs> <laughs> I would I'd be curious to hear what you have to say, because I feel like I've been noticing a lot um, in the flexible packaging realm that there's a lot of refill um, pouches coming out, like bigger pouches that are, you know, 62, 48 ounces that people can use to refill, um, you know, a, a plastic or a if you have like a hand hand dispenser at home, you can use that big refill to. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And, and, and that's something we're seeing a, a lot of, whether it's part of, uh, you know, some of the, the loop campaign is the big durable packaging campaign, but there's a million, not a million, there's a lot similar to that. Um, and the big brands are doing it. Um, often we're seeing this in personal care. Um, yep. in, instead of constantly buying and throwing out that rigid uh, bottle of, uh, I don't know, a, head and shoulders, for lack of a better example, uh, you know, what about a nicer looking, um, durable package that can sit on your counter and it might be made of something like, you know, aluminum or some sort of super durable material that is then refilled with flexible packaging, lightweight, again, lightweight, uh, recyclable, um, mm -hmm. ideally, you know, with the, the onset of uh, monomaterials that we're seeing, and I'm sure we'll get to that shortly, but, uh, you know, these are recyclable things. If people know how to recycle them, that's, of course, the kind of the bugaboo there the is key, yep. yeah is getting people to recycle and, and for again i have to say for better or for worse uh people immediately recognize aluminum as recyclable because they've seen they've been recycling their diet coke cans since 1982 um and and paper is wood you know there's this immediate mental connection there that doesn't necessarily exist once you get into the alphabet soup of hdpe versus ldpe and that is again <laughs> it's a narrative it's a, it's a campaign that can be won and you know hearts and minds can be won and i think they will over time um, but, you know, just demonstrating its ability to, uh, to take a product instead of a, a heavy product uh, that needs to be shipped out or, or you know, via e-com or picked up from uh, a, 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 rest or a, excuse me, a retail situation, 
um, every on certain increments. Instead, you buy this heavy, durable thing that's going to be there for a long time, and then you refill over time with lightweight um, packages that don't have to, you know, they don't have to do a whole lot of work sitting there on the counter over, you know, the eight months or whatever. They don't basically all they have to do is get the product into that durable package, and I, I think that makes a lot of sense. That flexible has a lot to say there. Gotcha. And down uh, down below, we have a comment from Brent, and he's asking thoughts on future or advanced slash chemical recycling. You have yes. any insight Ooh. on that? Yeah, that's the silver bullet, isn't it? Um, uh, we're, we're following it. I, I've spent some time talking with uh, Bruce Welt. He's down at the University of Florida, but there's uh, multiple other ones. I, I'm forgetting the name of the company now. There's another one um, that is uh, contracting with, uh, one of the big brands, Unilever, um, spun it off. I don't remember the details. It's now it's like a, ver a venture capital version of Unilever. I don't know exactly how they're connected. Um, but, yeah, that would be the silver bullet. Uh, we just don't have the infrastructure for it. Uh, but that's, you know, chemical recycling is to to break down the plastic or whatever it might. It doesn't have to be plastic to its smallest polymer unit and then be able to build that back up to whatever you want it to be. Um, you know, basically the same quality as virgin. So one knock that, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, rightly or wrongly after it's my equivocation there on, on recycled plastic oftentimes or plastic as it comes out of the ocean is that over cycle after cycle after cycle, then you can lose some, you can have some, you know, clarity problems or transparency problems or whatever that might be. But with, uh, you know, a chemical recycling, ideally you're getting basically a virgin product every time out of, uh, you know, but still in a loop or a, 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 I'm going to fumble this word, circular uh, fashion. Um, so, uh, and, and it doesn't just apply to plastics. Uh, the infrastructure for chemical recycling would be pan material, I think, um, in an ideal world. Uh, I, I think it's a matter of creating the infrastructure there and not creating an infrastructure that's fractured where you can do it in Seattle, you can do it in San Francisco, but you can't do it in Topeka because then, I mean, that, that's sort of the problem with what we have with recycling right now is it's so fractured um, and nobody knows from, you know, uh, from location to location, what works, you know, is compostability available here? Can I do that in my backyard? Can I compost, uh, you know, is there infrastructure for it? More of like a, I, I guess uh industrial composting setting. So I, I think we're seeing some positive movement there in terms of brands um, and all sorts of stakeholders. I'm sure FPA is involved in, in trying to get recycling yep. right across, across the United States and instead of just municipality by municipality. But it's a really long-winded way of saying that perhaps the most interesting and the most promising thing is chemical recycling, um, but it's also probably the most distant at the moment. Um, it's doable in labs and so on, just the infrastructure isn't there. But I'd be happy to be told otherwise, because that's good news itself. <laughs> Great. Um, another question here is, um, how has sustainability shaped your editorial perspective? It's been difficult um, because, uh, and I'm sure FPA is, is, is fighting these battles every day. The amount of uh, misinformation might be the wrong word because that, in, that implies intention. Um, but uh, I guess misinformation versus disinformation, whatever it might be, there's a lot of competing claims out there. And, and, and those competing claims, oftentimes, you know, two claims made by two different entities can't both be true. So for me, it's a matter of, uh, you know, well, this product weighs 40% less, so it uses X amount less greenhouse gas. Well, how much, well, let's say it's aluminum, how much uh, 
you know, greenhouse gas did it take to actually extract the ore from the earth? You know, that was it. And then how many cycles of recycling that aluminum? After how many cycles does that suddenly become carbon neutral or drop down? Uh, so there, as far as I know, there is no single um, algorithm that really accounts for everything. Um, from soup to nuts, from extracting the material or harvesting, in the case of bioplastics, you know, high, harvesting the, 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 the corn or the, the, the sugar cane, and how much water is that taking? And is that diverting water away from other crops that are, say, food crops versus something that's going to go to a bioplastic or kind of a non-fossil based type? So until we have that perfect formula that every variable is accounted for, then I, I, am, I am very careful editorially to be able to make any claims. Now, I will say that said the FPA or said the aluminum industry or said this brand, um, but I, I have to be careful to make sure that I'm reflecting what I'm seeing and not commenting on it uh, as much as possible. Although I, I can't help myself every once in a while. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> okay, great. And um, to kind of wrap things up here, is there anything else that you would like to add? Yeah, everybody get vaccinated. Let's go to Las Vegas. <laughs> Let's go to Las yes. Vegas in September and see <laughs> see you there, see me there. Um, uh, there's going to be a lot going on. There's multiple pavilions, a lot that could apply very closely to uh, to flexible packaging. Um, there's so much going on in flexible with, you know, that move towards mono materials, which we're hearing everywhere. You know, a thin layer of EVOH maybe is all you need for a barrier, and that goes right into existing uh, recycle streams. There'll be a lot going on. There was two years ago in 2019 in Las Vegas, quite a bit just starting. And, it, and that, that moves even into the OEMs themselves. You know, how are these machinery builders um, you know, are they, how are they grappling with new materials? And then I know the FPA members of the FPA have all these companies that are coming up with new materials. Um, and, you know, Glenroy is one of them. They have all these, this, this host of new materials that are, that are more recyclable, you know, going to where the consumers are. So that's all going to be a pack expo. There's going to be pavilions like the uh, package print pavilion. It's going to be a pack expo that's going to deal a lot with converters and digital printing specifically, but also your usuals, your flexo and whatever might be new there. So I think there's also going to be a little bit of a dam bursting on two years of us waiting to see each other and exchange ideas. I think that's all going to happen in Las Vegas in September. So I hope to see you there, Sarah. Yes, you as well. Yep. September 27th through the 29th, everyone. And Glenn Roy will be in booth uh, 7925. So come 7925. Is that in the north, south, east, or west hall? Do you know? Uh, south. It says, okay. I, think it's, I think it's south. It's SU Good. 7925. If Ken's on, he could correct me. But there's. Um, the there's this thing called Google also. <laughs> so yeah. we'll be good. But I will see you there. And I'll be sure to see you and Ken there and see what Glenroy's got cooking. Fantastic. Well, thank you again, Matt, um, and for giving us a bunch of insight on all the trends that you're seeing um, from your perspective. And I also just want to mention that next month in August, we will have um, Rob Johnson, who is the C CEO of Born Simple, join us. So oh, stay yeah. tuned for that. Cool. I'll watch. All right. Yeah. Ken said South Hall upper level. So. All right. See you guys Good there. Stuff. All right. Thank you so much, Matt. All right. Bye. All. Bye. Thanks for every. Thanks to everyone for tuning in as well.